As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Butler <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Give up the Amos. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan beat Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome into another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is a weekly show for uh, this week. Now, we did move back a little bit because I was up in New York, but I am back, and we are ready to do uh, this week's edition of the show where we continue to get you ready for the 2019 season. So, of course, I'm Anthony Pagnata. Josh Marlowe is here with me, and uh, we're going to jump into tonight with some bold predictions for the 2019 season. But first, we want to remind you to go ahead and like and subscribe to the uh, Heel Tough Blog podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, plenty of places you can do that. Make sure you uh, hit that like button, subscribe, and make sure that you also leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you guys. So let's jump into our bold predictions for the 2019 season. This was something that we did last year, not on the podcast, but we did it just um, over the uh, or through Medium.com. Now we have our own website, so we did it over the website this year. But um, you know, got a pretty good amount of run last year. It's getting pretty good run again this year. You can read that article on HeelToughBlog.com. But tonight, we'll give you the audio version of that. So not only will you get my bold predictions, but you'll get Josh's bold predictions. So, buddy, uh, first of all, how's it going? I know that uh, it's been a long week at work for you. Uh, it was a nice week of vacation for me. But, uh, you know, now we're getting towards the start of the 2019 season. The guys are already in camp. They got there uh, yesterday, actually. Yesterday morning was the first day of camp. So, uh as it's closing in, I, I'm assuming that you're getting a little more excited each day. Yeah, that's what makes the uh, long days at work, I guess, a little more worth it, is that we know August 31st is uh, right around the corner. And the boys, like you said yesterday, tracked on the pad yesterday, and they're now working to get better. And that means football season's right around the corner. So it sucks working long hours, but football season's near, and that makes us all happy. 
Got to do what you got to do. It's a grind. That's what the guys are going through right now in camp. We'll talk about a little more of that later on. Let's get into the bold predictions, and uh, I'll let you start with uh, with, with yours. How do we want to do this? Do we want to go one at a time and then um, just, uh, uh, you know, you read off your five and then I read off mine, or do we want to go – you know, we switch on and off. You say one, then I say one, and we kind of have a little conversation in between. I love how this is supposed to be uh, finalized in pre-production, not during the show. But with, we we can alternate. We can just do one on another. That way, we can have a, I guess, a more live reaction if one of one of ours is a little way out there. Well, there we um, go. And we do so. want to give the people a little bit of a preview of the pre-production stuff. And also, we are highly unprepared for this because we work jobs, and uh, frankly, most people think we're a little bit lazy. So yes, let's do that. I like the alternating thing. Um, so, uh, do you want? Why don't you start? Why don't you start out by giving your first one, since you are the guest host on the podcast? Okay, I guess for my my first bold prediction, um, I've stayed on this podcast for the last few months that while we have a quarterback competition, I believe Kate Fortin will win that competition. That's no surprise. But I guess the bold prediction comes that I think he will be the only quarterback that starts for Carolina barring an injury circumstance. I don't think it's going to be anything where we're alternating quarterbacks going into games. I think he, if he wins the job, I think he will. He'll have the position from the South Carolina game on, like I said, barring him uh, an injury like he had last year. Yeah, well, I'm going to say, look, that seems pretty bold on the surface, but I can't really say anything because my first bold prediction is that Sam Howell will, in fact, start the entire season. I think the true freshman will win the starting job coming out of camp. I think really this the job just kind of falls into a good spot for him right now because no one was able to separate themselves in the spring, which, you know, we figured maybe someone would jump out and have a little bit of an edge going into fall camp. At the least, we thought, okay, more than likely the redshirt freshman will probably be ahead of Sam Howell, the true freshman. That's not true. I mean, from everything that we've heard, these guys are neck and neck. Howell, um, through the first two days of camp, has gotten pretty rave reviews. Now, so have Jace Reuter and Cade Fortin. They've both been said to have taken a step in the right direction as Howell has over the offseason. So, you know, I think these three guys are going to be locked in a pretty good battle up until the start of the season. But I'm kind of with you on the fact that whoever takes that starting job against South Carolina, barring injury or just an extremely tough time under center, I think that whoever that guy is will probably be the starter for the entire season. They are not going to go in with guys switching on and off, playing two quarterbacks like we've seen in the past. I feel like they'll have a decision in mind, and they're going to roll with that guy until that guy shows them that they've made the wrong decision or an injury pops up. So for me, I think it's Sam Howell. I think he's got the best overall talent, the highest ceiling of the three. Um, But Cade Fortin is a a guy that, you know, has probably the safest floor of all of the guys. I think he's probably the guy that 
you would think is the safest pick out of the group. He's got the most experience. Granted, that's not a lot. And then Jace Reuter's the guy that is going to be more of the gunslinging mentality, um, a guy that can cause some issues both with his legs and with his arm. And he showed last year that, you know, there were some concerns that he did play in a run-heavy offense at the high school level. Well, he showed last year that that – is not something that people should really be all that concerned about and showed it again in the spring game. So, you know, this is going to be a battle that goes on for a long time. We've got our guys that we think are going to win the job. Um, it seems like my pick is a little more popular on the national circuit. It seems like your pick might be a little more popular with some of the guys that have been around the team for a while. So we'll have to wait and see. It should be a great battle. But, that, you know, that's kind of interesting that we both think whoever wins that starting job will probably go the distance. So uh, what was your second one, man? Uh, I know for me, I switched to the defensive side of the football. What about for you? This is probably the boldest take I have, um, and that I think we only lose one game at home this year. And I'll just take the time to read the home schedule in case for some reason we've forgotten it. We have Miami at home. That's the home opener. Appalachian State at home. Clemson at home. Duke at home. Virginia at home. And Mercer. And the reason why I base that is if this team is going to have aspirations to make a bowl game, they're going to have to get back to being really good at home, especially this year, just because when they're not at home, you have South Carolina on a neutral site. Um, you've got to go to Wake Forest on a Friday. That won't be easy. Right. Uh, you have to go to Georgia Tech, who Carolina has only won there once since Mac Brown left the first time. You have to go to Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh on a Thursday, and to NC State. So the the road schedule doesn't do them any favors either. So if they want to get back, and, and supposedly the they got to be good at home, best way to do that is win as many games as possible. Uh, we can probably all agree the one game we expect them to lose, but I, I, I think the team gets back to establishing a home field dominance under Mac Brown and only, only, only drop one home game. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a bold take. I'm a little blown away um, by the fact that you do, in fact, have this on your list. That's that's probably – I'm going to be honest with you. I have some pretty bold ones on there. That's probably the boldest one. Um, you know, yeah, Clemson to me is, is almost a definite. Um, you know, I, the, the one thing that I'll say about that Clemson game is I do like where it's at on the schedule. Um, that's kind of been the area where Clemson has had some trouble beforehand. And again, it is on the road. So it's not, I mean, look, going into Death Valley, I would say that the Tar Heels have zero chance. The fact that it's in Keenan, they're is going to be a fantastic environment. Now, granted, I think it's probably going to be 50-50, maybe even leaning towards Clemson, just because of the fact that Clemson travels extremely well. That game is already sold out. It was sold out early. Kind of says, okay, that probably is a more pro-Clemson crowd. But even at the same time, it's it's not going to be the easiest game. But I still think you're right. That's probably the loss. The issue for me is that you have to play the team that's projected by most and projected by the media at ACC Media Days to win the Coastal in Virginia. You have 
Miami on the schedule early in the year. That's a team that last year was very, very good defensively. It feels like they're going to only get better on the defensive side of the football this year because they really didn't lose a lot last year. Um, so I, it, it feels like they're kind of building into one of those defensive juggernauts. Now, it helps that Manny Diaz is a first-time head coach or second-time head coach, if you want to say that. His uh, career at Temple will go down as one of the greatest in history, despite only being there 41 days and never coaching a game. Um and then, I mean, App State – see, App State is, is a lot more – they're a trickier team than I think a lot of people realize. Most people look at that game and automatically think it's a win. While I do think the Torials will win that game, I think that that's, that's a game that you got to be careful with because App State is a team that has shown that they're not afraid to go into – these tougher places in play, of course, everybody knows that, you know, the historic upset in the big house against Michigan, more of what I'm referencing is look at last year when they almost went into Happy Valley and beat Penn State. And that was a Penn State team that was thought very highly of, definitely felt like a more secure team than the Tar Heel team that App State will be playing this year. Um, and really App State, Despite losing their starting running back from last year, they're still in a really, really good spot. They return their starting quarterback, Zach Thomas. There's still a ton of talent there on the defensive side of the football. And this is a team that has won the Sun Belt, I believe, three out of the last four years. So they're not. it's not going to be as easy as some people are saying. And then Duke and Mercer, you know, I feel like Duke is, is a team that is, is kind of, in my opinion, I think that a lot of people probably put them in that three through six range in the ACC Coastal. I feel like everybody is kind of looking at Virginia and Miami as the favorites. Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh, as well as Carolina and Duke, are probably in that three through six range where I think a lot of the teams are very, very similar. You could even argue that Miami is a little bit closer to them than maybe Virginia, but um, – I, you know, I just, I don't know that by that time of the season, it might be a little more tricky, but I kind of see that one as, as probably a win and same thing with Mercer. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bold take. Um, you know, I, I, I think early in the season playing Miami at home, that, that might be the only reason that I would have to disagree with you, but I would not be shocked if this team goes four and two at home, um, you know, that, that would kind of be where I, I'm looking at. And I, I'm i going to be honest, I would not argue with that. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested with that. With that if, you had, if you see them going five and one and you talked about how difficult the road schedule is, I mean, is there – I mean, you do you, I, do you honestly think there's a chance that this team doesn't win a single road game this year? Um, I think it's, it's possible. Um just because, you know, they are road games. And you look at the, the struggles, you know, or not the struggles, but the, the you know, the Wake Forest on a Friday. Um, Georgia Tech, it's just me. We've only, get, you know, only won there one time in 20-something years. Virginia Tech, uh, we're not historically good there. Um, so you, you, you look at Pittsburgh. Um, you know, we've we, we played State Tough on the road the past couple of years. Hell, Larry Fedora was better and Carter Finley against him than he was in Keenan Stadium. Um, so I think it's possible. 
Um, then you, the South Carolina game is, is, a, is a neutral site, and there's a good chance that that could be more of a pro South Carolina crowd than a pro Tar Heel crowd. So um, that, that's just why uh, I feel like this is, I, I think this is a bowl team, um, and I just think if, if they want to make a bowl game, you got to get back to winning at home. And I think it favors that Miami is early in the season, where you would probably lean in the coaching with background of Manny Diaz. Right. Um, you know, App State. You know, yeah, they 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 pulled the upset in Michigan. They were close last year. I, you know, I, so I, I think you know we'll we'll play them full attention. Um, Duke. You know, we haven't beaten Duke at home in a few years, so we'll just emphasis on beating your rivals, Virginia. We played Virginia tough the last couple of years, so like. I think it's just one of those where the the where, where we lost the close games. Maybe it turns back in our favor. Maybe it turns back in our favor on the home slate. Well, yeah. That, I mean, I I think that that's definitely possible. And uh, get, get, you you gave the people a little bit of a preview of where you're going to go with your official prediction. You think they're a bowl team, but we're going to give you our official predictions when we go out and do the pregame show for. Uh, the game against South Carolina will be out, of course, at Moo and Brew Restaurant in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, that will be, of course, on August 31st. 11 a.m. is when we'll start out there, so make sure you guys swing out there. Um, it'll be at 1300 Central Avenue in Charlotte, so swing on by. we got some great guests that are coming out there. Just announced earlier tonight uh, that we will have former Tar Heel cornerback Errol Hood who will be out there to talk with us. Ryan Houston's also coming out there to talk with us, so it should be a great time out there. But, yeah, that's when we'll give our official predictions. We'll have our official record predictions. We'll go through, kind of look game by game um, with where we're going to go with some of our decisions. But, um, yeah, no, that's that's definitely pretty bold. Uh, and, I, you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility because you got to think just a few years ago, back in 2015, this team went undefeated at home. So they've been able to do it before. It's just a matter of, you know, th this is in my mind, this is a pretty tough home schedule. Now it's a pretty tough road schedule as well. I mean, this is probably the toughest schedule that the Tar Heels have had in, in a while. So it'll be interesting to see how they work through it. Um, for my second prediction i went with jeremiah gemmel um and I, I think he leads the team in tackles i think this is a little bold because this was a guy that really up until earlier this week wasn't guaranteed a starting job now he's pretty much guaranteed a job with uh jonathan smith not being able to start the season with the team he's currently practicing with the team but he will not be on the field when the season starts that's one of the um that that's a punishment that's been handed down by the staff mac brown said uh, in his press conference the other day that jonathan will miss some time because of the academic struggles that he had off the field they're not sure about the time span just yet but that pretty much means that jeremiah gemmel will be one of the starters in the middle and with cole holcomb gone the Tar Heels are looking for that guy that can be a volume tackler. Um, you know, he's going to be one of the inside guys, and Jay Bateman's defense is really, um, you know, especially in the run game, is based on forcing things inside, trying to get those guys 
um, back in the middle of the field, getting those running backs back into the middle of the field so that your inside linebackers can make the tackles. That's why I think he'll lead the team in tackles. It's a little bit bold because I think a lot of people will probably look at a guy like Dominic Ross, but there's a chance that Dominic Ross will probably be playing one of the outside linebacker positions. Now, he may move inside with Smith being suspended, um, but you know, there's there's always a good chance that he's going to stay out at outside linebacker. If a guy like Matthew Flint, who we heard a lot about last year, steps up, or maybe a guy like Chaz Surratt or the true freshman uh, Eugene Asante, who is a fall enrollee, can step up. So, um, you know, I think I, I think Jeremiah Gimmel will have a really good year. He has the feel of a guy that can really take over in the middle of that defense. Um, it's a tough, it, it's definitely a tough role that's left behind by Cole Holcomb because he did such a great job over the last couple of seasons. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that Gemmel is, is one of those guys that has shown he can do it in practice. Now it's just about showing that he can do it on the field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts around uh, Jeremiah Gemmel? You think that he kind of fits that mold of what Cole Holcomb leaves behind? Yeah, you and I have talked a lot about him just in, in, in regular conversation as a guy that we think just really fits what Jay Bateman wants to do uh, now that he's taking over the defense in Chapel Hill. And so you and I both, uh, we, we, we expect big things about uh, for him this upcoming year. So I fully agree with that. Um, and then hopefully we're, we're, we're dead on about that because if, if, if he's productive, that means the defense is going to be productive in a good way. Right, and we need those tacklers because – you know, I mean, granted, the last few years have been a little bit better. I think 2015 and 16 were probably the worst of it, where we just had guys that could not tackle in the open field. Uh, Jeremiah Gummel's not one of those types of guys, and he's a guy that can be just about anywhere on the field, um, you know, from what we've seen in practice and, and in some of the limited reps. So I expect a big season from him. What you got for your third uh, bold prediction of the 2019 season. So the last time we did a podcast, we, we mentioned about the fact that there was no Charlie Heck on the All-ACC first team. Right. Uh, on all for, for the preseason. Um, I think there will be a Tar Heel on the offensive side of the football and the defensive side that make first team All-ACC. Um I point to Charlie Heck on the offensive line, mm-hmm. one of the better pass blockers in the conference, held probably argue the country. And then defensively, um, if, if I had to name a guy, um, I think the answer is Jason Strobridge. This is a guy that mm-hmm. we heard background rave about the other day. Guys, you finally got to see him out on the field. That you know, this is an NFL body. Um, Aaron Crawford could work his way into there if he, you know, mainly healthy because he's been productive before all the injuries uh, happened to him. But so that's that's what I go with uh, for a team that didn't have a guy listed on the All ACC preseason watch list. I think when they announce the All ACC teams in December, we'll have a, a player on offense defense that makes the team. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's something that could definitely happen. Um, I think that's. You know, you go from extremely bold to uh, I, I would I would still say pretty bold, mainly on the defensive side of the football, because I do think that Charlie Heck is a guy that will be on the first team all ACC. I'm not sure how he did not make the first uh, the, the preseason all ACC first team, because 
I mean, this was a guy that, according to Pro Football Focus, who is very highly regarded when it comes to grading players, especially on the offensive and defensive lines, he graded out as the top offensive tackle in the league that returned for the 2019 season. So how he was unable to land on that first team, I'm not really sure. Um, but I think he's definitely the guy that you look at. I think there's an outside chance for guys like Daz Newsom. Of course, with Daz, there's sort of two different elements to it. He could make it as a wide receiver or he can make it as a kick returner or punt returner um, because it looks like there's a chance that he's going to handle both of those roles this season. Um, I think Michael Carter's also got a real chance if he can sort of develop into that guy that we heard he could develop into when he came to campus. Of course, everybody remembers he was basically touted as the next Giovanni Bernard. And, you know, look, when you have when you average 7.1 yards per carry, this in 2018, it's not the wildest thing to think that could happen. It's just can he separate himself from the two running backs that are behind him enough to get enough carries to be on that first team. When you look at the defensive side of the football, yeah, Jason Strobridge is probably the guy that I would go with because I think Strobridge fits this defense so much better than the Larry Fedora defenses that you know he, he had uh, John Papuchis' defense. Uh, mind me, so. Um, you know, I, I think that the move to the four eye position really will help him. I think he's a guy that will probably get somewhere around eight or nine sacks. Could be could, could hit double digits, but I'm not really sure about that because you know we've been kind of waiting for that guy to pop up over the last couple of years. Malik Carney might have gotten there last year, but I'm still not sure about that. Of course, you remember last year he had the suspension early in the year that kept him off the field for the first four games of the season. So that's the reason why he didn't get a chance to make a run at double-digit sacks. But uh, Jason Strobridge could be that guy. Um, Aaron Crawford, I think, again, another guy that fits this defensive system better than he fit the last defensive system. And I think you're right. The biggest thing for him is health. If he stays healthy, there's definitely a chance that he could be a first team all ACC guy at one of the defensive tackle positions. And then there's a couple other dark horses. Miles Dorn is a guy that you should probably keep an eye on, although, again, injuries will factor in for him. Um, also, the fact that he really just hasn't been as productive as you look for when you look at the first team in any conference. Usually your first team guys are going to be your interception leaders. And Miles Dorn has been a guy that, you know, he's pulled in, I think, two interceptions in each of the last two seasons, but he's not that guy that is seen as a ball hog. And then the other guy that I would throw in there to keep an eye on is Dominic Ross because he's a known uh, commodity. Returns to the linebacker position, really seen as the best linebacker on this Tar Heel team by a lot of the national guys, um, also a lot of the guys in the ACC. So keep an eye on him, but uh, I think you're right. I think Jason Strobridge and Charlie Heck are your best bets there. Um, so I'll go, um, I'll, you know what, let's keep it with Charlie Heck and I'll say Charlie Heck wins the Jacobs blocking trophy. Now, if you don't know what the Jacobs blocking trophy is, it's awarded to the guy that's voted as the best offensive lineman in the ACC. So, um, even though Charlie wasn't listed as one of the five offensive linemen on the list for the first team all ACC when that group came out last Tuesday. I still think that 
Charlie's a guy that has what it takes to be one of the best linemen in the ACC. Now, it helps that this year's ACC group is not all that great. There's not really a superstar. Clemson's got a couple of guys that are pretty solid, but overall, this this is one of the down groups for the ACC in the last couple of years. So I think that kind of plays well into Charlie's chances to win this award. Keep in mind that last year, the Tar Heels allowed just 10 sacks in 11 games throughout the entire season. So they did a fantastic job. That ranked seventh in the nation, which is something that is definitely taken into account. And Charlie was a big reason why the Tar Heels did improve on the ground a year ago. Ran for 193 yards a game a year ago. Expect that number to go up. And part of that will be because Charlie Heck will move to the left tackle spot. I think that you know, when you look at Charlie Heck, he's not really that well-known throughout the country. Granted, how many offensive linemen actually are, but this is a name that you have to keep an eye on, and I think there's a real chance that he can take home the uh, Jacobs blocking trophy in the ACC. So um, what do you got for your fourth one, man, as we uh, we, we get closer to the end here? I don't know if it's going to get more, more and more bold for you. I think it's pretty tough to get more bold than that second one that you had. Yeah, my fourth one, um, I'm going to go with, I think Carolina continues, or not to continue, I think they improve on their rush defense. Um, last year they gave up 218.8 yards per game. I'm going to say this year they allow less than 200. Um, don't know if that's necessarily bold, but I just I feel like this defense is going to take a step in the right direction. Um, they, they never had a problem stopping the pass, but most teams haven't thrown because we couldn't stop the run. I think we get back to trying to fix that. To remember when Matt Brown's here the first time, we were really good defensively um, at, at all four levels, or all three levels, excuse me. And even under Butch Davis, we were pretty good stopping the run. So I think this year we take the uh, step in the right direction and finally give up less than 200 yards rushing a game, I think for the first time since 2010. Yeah, well, okay, I'm glad you fixed that because we talked about this in pre-production, and you mentioned that you thought they were going to be better. I like the fact that you go with under 200 yards a game because I think that's a little more bold considering that, yes, it has been a complete disaster for the run defense since the turn of the decade. Plain and simple, they're – I mean – the fact that since 2010, they have not allowed under 200 yards rushing to opposing teams a game in a single season is just mortifying. Um, now, that does extend back to Everett Withers, but most of that is the Larry Fedora era. Now, they've had we, we've had some really, really bad defensive coordinator hires, um, you know, dating back to Vic Koning, who is easily the worst. Um, and one of the reasons why, you know, some people are so skeptical about this working, uh, with the, the, the new system working, because it does sort of resemble a 4-2-5. But yeah, no, I think there's there's a chance that they could get this turned in back in the right direction because you know Army is, is used to facing teams that are going to run the ball a lot. You got to remember they face Air Force every single season. They face uh, Navy every single season. So you're facing teams that run the ball pretty well. 
in the past, Jay Bateman's defenses have been able to stop the run with a lot of success, especially this past season. Yeah, proved fair. There's really not – I mean, there, there's only one way to go. It's pretty much up from here. If you get any worse, which is possible, look at Louisville, um, then Carolina is going to be in a really bad spot. But I, I, I think you're right. I think they get under 200 yards per game for the first time since 2010. And if they do that, I don't think there's any way that you could call this season anything but a success for Jay Bateman uh, on the defensive side of the football. So – for my fourth one, I'll go back to the offensive side of the football. And I'm going to say that our three running backs, Michael Carter, Antonio Williams, and Javante Williams, all run for more than 400 yards. Now, you may be thinking, well, honestly, just how bold is this? Well, first of all, you got to look at it from this perspective. That means that three running backs in the backfield were more than likely to get to that mark, have to carry the ball somewhere around 70 or more times to get to that mark, um, which that's that's a lot, going to be honest, because you're splitting time between those three guys in an air raid offense. I don't know if that's going to happen. It, 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 it could, but it's going to be pretty close. One of the other concerns is that you look at a guy like Michael Carter, if he is to have a breakout season, you would believe that guys like Antonio Williams and Javante Williams will have carries cut. But for me, the reason that I went with this one is because we've seen before with Michael Carter, he's had injury concerns. And I feel like Antonio Williams and Javante Williams are really pretty close. I feel like in the minds of a lot of Tar Heel fans, a lot of people think that Antonio Williams is significantly better than Javante Williams, but I think Javante Williams might be the more complete all-around back. So I think that if Michael Carter was to get injured or if he was to struggle a little bit and not be quite as successful as maybe everyone thought, I think that Javante Williams could see a decent amount of carries as well as Antonio Williams because of his seniority, because of his hard-nosed running style. So I think that all three guys reach that 400-yard mark, and if they do, it would be the first time since 2004 that the Tar Heels have had three running backs rush for over 400 yards. Now, I know that you were kind of going back and forth with saying that these three guys could rush for over 500 yards, so do you think that both of the, all three of these guys will run for over 400 yards this season? I, I, I do. Um, I think the, the backfield is, is the strength of this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball right now, um, is, is the place we know we're going to get production from no matter the guy. So I think that's why there's a good potential for that. Because um, like, like you said, I was debating on them getting the 500 yards apiece. Um, but 400 is probably a lot, a lot safer. Still bold because like you said, we haven't done it in well over a decade. So um, I, I'm definitely excited to see this. Um, I, I think one of the things I want to see us do better with the running back is just utilize the talent better. Like, we understand there's talent there. Let's see if Bill Longer does a much better job managing the talent as opposed to the previous staff. Right. Well, and, and I mean, basically what you're saying is what they have been telling us in the offseason, which is when you're able to run the ball successfully, keep running the football. Don't try to force a passing game if it's not there that day. If you're running the ball successfully, hey, look, we know that you're going to have to throw the ball in certain situations. Look, we're not saying on third and eight, 
late in the game, okay, we've been running the ball really well, we're going to still run it here. No, 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 we're not saying that. But we're saying, look, if you get into a game where, you know, it's the, the run game is really working, which we've seen in past years. Remember last year against East Carolina? That was one of the games that, in my mind, stuck out the most to me. Antonio Williams was having a lot of success on the ground. Now, granted, he gets ejected from the game for what some people thought was a questionable targeting call. It was targeting. Um, but... They never really went back to the run game. At that point, it seemed like they saw the situation as, okay, we've lost our starting running back in this game. Now we're just going to turn into an air raid offense. That can't happen against those teams that you're having success running the football, no matter who it is that's in the game. I don't care if one of the guys is hot and you have to pull him out of the game to rotate another back in to give him a rest, or if he comes up limping or something like that and has to come to the sidelines for uh, you know a few seconds. Hey, look, all three of these guys are talented enough to handle the load. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you. I could be comfortable with starting Javante Williams in a game and handing him the football 25 times. And I could say the same about the other two guys. So I think, I mean, that's kind of what you're thinking as well, right? Where, you know, if in a game situation where, you know, you're running the ball a lot better than you're throwing it, you want to see this staff stick with the run as opposed to what Larry Fedora and his staff did, which is pretty much, even if there was success with the running game, sweep it under the rug and try to force a passing game. Yes, that's exactly right. All right, so, um, so how many? Did, what 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 was that? That's your fifth? Or no, no, that was the fourth. That was the fourth. So you got your fifth. Okay. Yeah, my last one is I think Carolina has three receivers that get to the 800 yard mark or or higher. Um, of course, we all know that Phil Long is. Last year had three receivers that had over a thousand that they'll miss. Um. And this is this is somewhat bold considering you lost your leading receiver from last year. Right. Um, your leading receiver last, or your your leading returner returning receiver only had 506 yards. But we we we've talked about how we think this offense is just is really built for these guys to be productive because there's a lot more freedom in the offense than there has been in years past. Um, and I think a guy like Daz Newsom is going to thrive. You and I both said on the, on the podcast last week that Diami Brown's going to break out. Um, the third guy, I, I don't know if I could tell you who the, the guy is going to be um, necessarily. I think we're going to get to three of them. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's just going to open up this offense a lot more. I think it's all, we're going to get back to seeing the ball in the end zone and the points up and, and this offense putting up numbers at a high rate like we, we grew accustomed to early on in our Tario football days. Yeah, well, we talked about Daz Newsom and this offense really just fits him well. Um, you know, yeah, I, I last year only had a little over 500 yards receiving, only had 44 receptions. Now, granted, that was because Anthony Radliff-Williams was still here. It was also because of the fact that the offense was just extremely limited a year ago. They did not have quarterbacks that could get these wide receivers the football. So that's something that's different this year. I think we've seen it with Phil Longo's offenses before. The slot receivers have thrived, and I think Daz Newsom will love the freedom that he's going to have in the slot. I think that Diami Brown, uh, you know, we talked about him at length last week. He just feels like that guy that has 
the ability to take the top off the defense, but is also a good enough route runner where he can give you fits in the middle of the field. So he's he's that dynamic receiver that we really need on the outside. And then that last guy, I think there's I think look, Bo Corrales is the name that a lot of people will go with. And I think that's definitely a possibility. I love his ability to go up and get the football. I think he's probably gonna be that starter on the outside. But I'm telling you, one name to keep an eye on is Corey Bell Jr. We saw how great he was in the spring. He fits this offensive system very well. He's a guy that comes over from the defensive side of the football. So basically, he's playing with the mindset of a true freshman. Now, some people might say, well, is that actually a good thing? I think for wide receivers, when you look at what it takes to be a good wide receiver as a true freshman, I think that there's a little bit less of a learning curve at wide receiver than there is at some of the other positions. I feel like... At wide receiver, especially in this offense where it's basically just get to grass, I think that it's it's kind of e- it's it's an easier mindset for these guys when they first enter because it's you know we talked about it on last week's show. It's kind of that backyard football with your friends type mindset. So I think that Corey Bell Jr. has shown everything that he's needed to. In spring camp, you know, so far the first two days of fall camp, I'm going to be honest, haven't really heard a lot about him, but I honestly haven't heard anything about the receivers. The focus is really on the quarterbacks and the defensive side of the football with the amount of guys that are coming back. But I think Corey Bell Jr. is another name to definitely keep an eye on. So I'll give you my last bold prediction and it's that the Tar Heels pull one major upset. Now, let me clarify what I determine as a major upset. For this prediction, the focus is mainly on the Clemson, Virginia, and Virginia Tech games. That's because I do believe at the time that the games are played, all three of those teams will be ranked. Now, like I said earlier, I like where Clemson is on the schedule. I think it's kind of in that area where Clemson will get comfortable and maybe get a little lackadaisical. We've seen that in the past. They always have that span during the middle of the season where they'll face an opponent that they shouldn't struggle with, and they'll either eke out a close win or they will lose, like we've seen in the past. Games against Pittsburgh. Of course, they lost that one in Death Valley, and then everyone remembers the game against Syracuse two years ago that they lost. Um, It's going to be tough for Clemson to go undefeated back-to-back seasons as well. So you're looking on their schedule for where they might lose a game. Honestly, Clemson has a pretty easy schedule outside of Texas A&M and really maybe the ACC championship game. I can't even say the ACC championship game at this point because I still don't trust the ACC Coastal. So maybe that's one of the games where Clemson slips up, but still it's going to be really tough against the defending national champions. Then there's Virginia Tech. That game is on the road, but again, this is a Virginia Tech team that is kind of in a bit of turmoil. Final season for Bud Foster, and really last year's team was just nowhere near the teams that we've seen in the past for Virginia Tech, both on offense and on defense. 
Ryan Willis is going to return as the starting quarterback, but the question is how much do you actually trust Ryan Willis? Because really, especially towards the end of last season, he really didn't look like he was the guy that was going to be able to turn Virginia Tech back into a dynamic offense. They lose some talented wide receivers to transfer and graduation, so they're going to have to replace some guys there. And then when you look at Bud Foster's defense, the problem for them last season was – that they had so much turnover on the defensive side of the football. They'll have a little more stability there this season and a little more experience. But at the same time, they were blown out a lot last year. I mean, they were, we, we look at the close games that Carolina had last season. It was the complete opposite for Virginia Tech. There were a ton of games last year that they were not even remotely in. They lost, I believe it was three or four games by 20 or more points. So... It's going to be tough to flip that around. You never like to see that, especially for a guy that's entering his last season as the defensive coordinator. Now, granted, he might be telling his guys, look, let's gear up for one last run. And the main thing for me is that the game is in Blacksburg. That's the reason why I don't think Carolina pulls the upset there. I'm going to go with the game against Virginia. I was talking about it earlier, saying that it would be a tough game against the team that is projected to win the Coastal. But... Like Josh said, this is a game that over the past two seasons, even with Carolina being a team that won three and then two games respectively in 2017 and 18, those were two of Carolina's closest losses. Last season, granted, was a 10-point loss, but that was a game that you never really felt like Virginia had complete control of. You always thought if Carolina was able to put together one or two drives, they would be able to get the job done. And then the game two years ago in Keenan was a game where Carolina simply outplayed Virginia, but just had too many mistakes late in the game, and it ultimately ended up costing them. So, you know, I think that, you know, of course, Carolina prior to that owned the South's oldest rivalry for a seven-year span. They won seven straight meetings, um, which was the second longest streak in program history. I also like the fact that the game is on November 2nd and is in a stretch where the Cavaliers play four teams that will likely be fighting um, for bowl eligibility at the time. There's a chance that they come in 5-2, and two, maybe even 6-1. and one. And look, Virginia's a team that historically has never played well under pressure. I think there's a real chance Carolina gets this one done. I'm actually going to take them to upset Virginia in Keenan. Um, and, you know, ultimately that could be what could come back to bite Virginia and prevent them from going to the ACC championship game. But I think Carolina gets it done. Uh, you know, I, I, I know that that's a game that you definitely have predicted as an upset I guess my question is, at the time, would you see that as a major upset? Do you really see Virginia being, you know, somewhere in that five and two, six and one range at the time? I mean, it's just so hard to say. Um, it's, it's really hard to, to trust any team in this in this division. Um, like I, I was listening to Jones and Anna talk about, like Virginia was pretty much picked to win the conference because they're the or the division because they're the safe bet. Um, so this seemed like it could be five and one, six and two, or they could be in the middle of the road. But nonetheless, it's still going to be considered an upset because they're on paper, well, maybe not on paper, better than us. But going into the year, they're better than us, um, and, and and they have the expectation. Um, and you know, we haven't beat them in a couple of years, so it would be an upset. Um, I think it'd be cool to see this game get back to being important again. 
in terms of the division race. Um, so hopefully we get that with the, with Bronco building the, the, them up and Mac Brown rebuilding us. Remember back in the late nineties that, that that game meant a lot some years. So hopefully we can get back. That'd be kind of fun for I think for you and I to kind of experience the South oldest rivalry has a beating outside of the the just the longevity of it. Yeah, and I think it could definitely get back to that type of game considering that you do have two very stable coaches I believe at both programs um you know I think the problem in recent years was that look Mike London would have the one good year and then the one bad year he was just kind of all over the place there was no stability with him now with Mendenhall there they're on a track now projecting to be you know a consistent contender in the coastal which is pretty much all that they asked for at Virginia and I think that's kind of what the Tar Heels are asking for as well. So I agree. I'd love to see that rivalry get back to where it was in the 90s. I mean, of course, everybody remembers, you know, the terrible memory with the interception um, that Chris Kildorf threw against them um, that ultimately let them back in the game and what became a comeback victory for Virginia. But at the time, the reason I point to that game is because that game was pretty much what was – you know, deciding that that could have decided the ACC outside of Florida State's matchup with Carolina. So, yeah, I think they they're on the right track to get back to being you know two of the solid contenders in the ACC Coastal. I mean, honestly, you look at the ACC Coastal and everybody could be a solid contender. It just depends on how you know all of all of the guys progress in their new jobs. A lot of the guys are in new jobs, or what happens at Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente, but. Yeah, I think that having Carolina and Virginia be an interesting matchup again each season would definitely be something that Carolina fans would love to see. So that's going to wrap it up for our bold prediction edition of the podcast. We'll get you out of here with a couple of tidbits from the first couple of days of camp. And, of course, you heard us talk about the quarterbacks earlier. We have our guys that we think the Tar Heels are going to go with. But right now, the quarterback race is still extremely close. Mac Brown said after the first day of practice yesterday afternoon in his press conference that all of the guys have taken a step in the right direction and that he did not see any separation in the first day. Now, he did say something that is interesting. He is putting a little bit of pressure on these guys by telling them that each throw from now until the final practice is everything. You've got to make sure that you are putting everything that you have into every throw because you are being graded throw by throw. To me, that tells me that these three guys are really as close as they've been saying in the media. It's not just coach speak. And there is a real chance that going into the final week of spring practice, these guys could still be neck and neck. Like I said, I think they will figure it out and go with one guy ultimately, but I don't think this is going to be an easy decision as witnessed by what Mac Brown said in his post-practice press conference. Meanwhile, some of the other things that he did address, as we mentioned, the pre fall camp press conference that he had did address the Jonathan Smith situation saying that he will be suspended for a period of time. Now that is a little bit of a significant um, situation there because not only will he 
be out for the first game of the season, which will have some big implications with the fact that Patrice Rene will miss the first half of that game, as well as Dominic Ross at linebacker. So the Tar Heels are going to be very thin at linebacker in that first half against South Carolina. It'll be interesting to see which guys get thrown out there. There's a real chance that converted quarterback Chaz Surratt could see some significant snaps early on in that game. But also, Jonathan Smith's a guy that's going to probably miss two to three games, so that means that the Tar Heels won't have the depth that they really want at inside linebacker. That means, as we talked about a little bit earlier, guys like Eugene Asante, Surratt, as well as Matthew Flint will have to step up and play bigger roles than maybe they were expected earlier on in the offseason. He did talk about the Cameron Kelly situation as well. As of right now, Kelly has not been deemed eligible to this point. So that means that he is not able to practice. That means that he is not a part of the team as of right now. So, you know, Matt Brown was a get, you know, he's he's a guy that's had a lot of issues with the transfer portal. This is another one. He definitely called out the NCAA saying, "Look, he'd like to know whether or not a guy's going to play when you start fall camp." And I agree with him. I can't believe that this has extended this long. Honestly, look, the the, the guy submitted a family hardship waiver back in April after he announced his transfer to Carolina. They've had plenty of time to make this decision. And look, I mean, everybody can debate saying, look, you know, he's from the state of Virginia. How is he honestly close, closer to home being at Carolina than being at Virginia or Virginia Tech? Well, I'm going to tell you, first of all, Virginia Tech is much farther away from the Chesapeake region, which is where he is from, than Carolina is. Carolina is mile, uh, just, I, I think, about two to three hours closer. Um, Virginia is a very big state. Trust me, I witnessed that driving back from New York. It is a massive state. So I believe that the Chesapeake area from Blacksburg is around five hours away. So that's the reason that he wouldn't go to Virginia Tech. Going to Virginia, um, I think, is clo- uh, it's definitely closer than Blacksburg, but it's not closer than Carolina. I think it's about 20 minutes more. It's, it's So it's pretty close, but Carolina is ultimately probably the closest that he could have gotten to, um, to, to the Chesapeake region without going to an FBS uh, or a non-Power 5 program or an FCS program. So honestly, you know, I don't understand what's taking so long. He's a guy that the Tar Heels could really use because of the thinning depth at both corner and safety with some of the injuries that they've had. Now, granted, the defense is back at full strength, so that definitely helps, but you know, the the Tar Heels could definitely use this young man. He would be a great piece to have, and we're hoping that they're going to get a decision on him pretty soon. And the last thing that we'll talk about is those defensive starters that did return. Tar Heels had five guys that were projected to play huge roles for the 2019 season out in the spring. All of those guys have returned, um, and they are all, all full participants in fall camp. Defensive end Jason Strobridge came out and immediately impressed. Mac Brown loves what he sees from him, thinks he's a guy that's an NFL guy for sure, probably a high-round draft pick at that. Um, Alan Cater returns as well. He's probably going to play that rush end because he is weighing in at around 260. Um, you know, of course, last year he played defensive end with his hand in the dirt. He'll probably stand up this year. And, you know, he was showing some signs of maybe breaking out before that injury took place in the game against Syracuse last year. So that's extremely encouraging to see that he is healing well from his injury and will be able to get back out onto the field 
for the start of the season. Tyrone Hopper, the outside linebacker who has had some injury issues in the past. He is now a full go in camp. He's probably going to play that rush outside linebacker spot. Might be able to play that Sam outside linebacker spot um, as well just due to his ability to tackle and the fact that he is athletic enough to contain the edge. So that could be interesting to see where he fits in on this defense. And then also both Miles Dorn and Miles Wolfolk, guys that are projected to start at both safety spots, they are back and full participants in fall camp. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Remember that you can find the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com, the TuneIn app, Spotify, plenty of places that you can find the podcast. Just about anywhere that podcasts are held, they now have the Heel Tough Blog podcast because we have been trying to grow this for years and it's starting to take off thanks to you guys, the listeners, and of course, all the readers of the Heel Tough Blog. Now, you can go and check out the website, HeelToughBlog.com. That has everything that you need. We have all of the latest recruiting updates for you with some of the commitments that we've had. Kedrick Bingley-Jones, of course, just committing today. Elijah Green, the three-star running back out of Roswell, Georgia, who committed on Tuesday night, we have his article up and plenty more stuff, as well as my favorite feature to write for you guys every single year, the in-depth position previews. The quarterbacks are officially up, so you can go in there, read about all of the quarterbacks to make sure that you know everything you need to know about them, and also check out the projected depth chart that I have for the Tar Heel quarterback. So I made the tough decisions. I went one through five. There's no oars next to their name. I put it how I believe the roster will show out in that first game against South Carolina. I had to make some tough decisions, um, mainly between who I had at two and three. So basically who I went with for the backup quarterback position. So go read that. Tell me what you guys think. We want to hear your uh, bold predictions as well. So make sure that you comment, uh, you know, on either this podcast or you can just send your bold predictions to us at Future Tar Heel on Twitter for me, at Josh Marlowe 5 on Twitter for him, or you can just send it directly to the Heel Tough blog page at Heel Tough blog on Twitter. Also, you can send it to the Facebook page where you can go and check out. We encourage you to like and follow the Facebook page. Um, That's where you guys can find that live podcast that we were talking about that we will be having on August 31st. If you can't make it out to Moo and Brew in Charlotte, we would love to see all of you guys out there. It's going to be a great time where we are just going to be sitting down, talking about the game, talking about the 2019 Tar Heels, and talking to some former Tar Heels about their career and what they think of Mac Brown coming back to Carolina. We'll also talk to them, of course, about the game against South Carolina and get their predictions ahead of what is likely the most anticipated season opener since the 1990s, I would say. So um, we want to thank you guys for listening to this podcast and remind you, as always, go Tar Heels! (laughs) 